Welcome into another episode of Loud Outs here with CJ Nikowski and Ryan Spielborgs. Loud Outs, the podcast, of course. You can also catch us on our show, Loud Outs, on MLB Network Radio, 3 to 6 Eastern Time, Monday through Friday. We also have a version on the weekends with Kevin Franson and Chris Jimenez. That is 10 o'clock to 1 o'clock Eastern Time. All right, Spilly, lots to get into. I want to start here because it's been a story uh, lately and the curiosity of the struggles of Carlos Correa. We know about the offseason, all the bouncing around. Was he going to be a giant? Was he going to be uh, a New York Met? None of that happened. He fell back to the uh, Minnesota Twins, and I'm sure everybody was very happy to get that done with a pretty reasonable contract, all things uh, considered with him. But he is off to a really, really slow start. He's hitting just 189. Uh, The OPS is 643. He does have five home runs for what it's worth. He had 22 last year, 26 the year. Before that, so from the power department side, I think things look okay for him. Now, I think you can hide a little bit when your team is 20 and 17 and you're in first place, but it's also kind of hard to hide when you're Carlos Correa. And he started hearing about it, started seeing some booze, not just the random regular booze that he gets on the road. That's going to happen for the rest of his career because of his involvement with the Astros. Uh, but he is getting him now, it seems like, from some of the Minnesota Twins fans as well. And uh, curious your thoughts on him. I got a couple of numbers I want to run by you eventually. But uh, Carlos Correa so far, uh, not exactly what the Minnesota Twins paid for to start the season. No, not at all. I mean, luckily, defensively, he's he's doing okay on on the defensive side. So I, I it's funny when you, when you bring up these hitters that are starting to struggle. And I, I traditionally just look at. Um, hard hit rates. I look at walk rates. I look at strikeout percentages, and then I'll get deeper and deeper into finding out like, is there a certain pitch that's giving him trouble? Um, So let's get into some of like the, the standard numbers that um, you know, that we're, that we're paying attention to. Okay. So the walk percentage right in line with his career average, he's got 10.5 walks, uh, which is exactly what he normally does. Mm -hmm. Striking out 21% of the time, Again, right, right in line with his career average. So those two things are exactly the same. Uh, last year is at 10.3, 20% uh, strikeout. So he's he's exactly there. Nothing's changed. So the strikeout to walk ratio or the walk out the the walk to to strikeout is is exactly the same for his career. You mentioned the batting average; it's 100 points lower than a year ago. And then I, I checked out the batting average ball and play because maybe it's been uh, a byproduct of some bad luck. It's 204. 204 batting average ball in play, which is that's almost 110 points lower than his career average. So he's normally at 314, 204. So I'm like, okay, so he's, he's, you know, putting ball in play. Maybe it's weak contact. So the next step we do is we traditionally will look at hard hit rates, Um, hard hit rate for him in his career. His average is 41%. He's at 45%. So he's hitting the ball and the hard hit percentage is any ball hit 95 miles an hour in above. So um, that could be a ground out to short. It could be a, a line drive to center field, but he's hitting the ball as hard as he ever has barrel percentage, which is um, a measure from stack cast. It gives you like the ideal launch angle with, uh, with a, a ball hit over 95 miles an hour. And he's at the highest of his career right now. Mm. So like there's, there, it's basically telling you he's hitting the ball hard. He's, he's just not getting into luck. So then now I want to know directionally. I mean, as a hitter, sometimes we get long, we, we start pulling the baseball or we're, we might be late. We're, we're inside outing our swing. And so um, here's where it starts to stand out. When you go by direction, direction, I think is really important because sometimes when you're right, you're hitting the ball like hard, right directly up the middle. 
Um, and for Correa right now, uh, directionally, he's hitting the ball opposite field more than he ever has. So he's at 37% opposite field swings where for his, for his career, he's at 27% and he's not hitting the ball hard up the middle. Um, pull rate is, is normal. So basically to me, it sounds like he's late. Yeah. Yeah. I would agree with you. I think looking at, uh, those numbers as well and looking at where he is on the fastball. Right. I mean, in particular, and if you're going to be late on anything, I guess you can be late on any pitch, but you can particularly be late on the fastball. That's where the numbers really start to drop the results. However, going back to what you were saying, the hard hit rate against the four-seam fastball this year is actually higher than it was uh, a year ago, a few percentage points. But the other numbers, I mean, the OPS is almost cut in half. The batting average is down by more than 200 points against four-seamers this year. The whiff rate is up. Right. And so some swing and miss there uh, and maybe not getting nearly to many as many fastballs. So I guess my question to you is our resident hitting expert. uh, What is next when you're in that spot? Is it getting started earlier? Is it trying to cheat to get to the fastball? Is it because it's early in the season? It is Minnesota. He didn't get off to a great start. He also missed some time last year at the beginning of the year. And is he going to be better off when uh, things warm up a little bit? What What do you do when you have a guy when you can come to him and say, here we are? You know, I'd ask him first. Right, I think if you're working with a guy, what do you feel? And then here's what the numbers say. And you're having this conversation. And if everyone draws that conclusion, I'm a little late right now. And I know he's been around. He probably has his own solution. Um, but what is it? Where do you go when you find out, you know what, man, I'm not getting to this fastball. I'm not on time with it. Everything's going the other way. I'm missing too many of these fastballs. How do you correct that as a hitter? Yeah, so fun, that's a fun one. Uh, first off, the the first step I, I do with Carlos Correa is, is you, you ask it right. Like, how are you feeling? Uh, he might say, I'm fine. And go good because I was going to show you your underlying numbers are are fine. Like you're you're striking the ball the way that you normally do. You're striking out the normal rate. You're walking the the normal rate. Um, here's some of the batting averages against uh, you know the the pitches that you're that you're accustomed to, uh, you know. And then it's it's do you, are you guessing on pitches? Are you you know let's let's get back to the simplicity of of hitting, which is see the ball and hit it. Um, most most hitters and and I like this one too because I think it's the easiest one for a hitter um to conceptualize you have the pitching rubber and you can look at it so as a hitter I can, I can see the pitching rubber I most of the time we can't directionally really manipulate the barrel it's more pitch than anything else but you can have you know I can I can try to hit behind the baseball I can try to pull the baseball a little bit um, sometimes when you're trying to pull a baseball, you're thinking to the left fielder, uh, or if I'm trying to hit the ball opposite field, I'm thinking maybe right center gap. I could just point out to the pitcher's mound and go, okay, if I want you to pull the baseball, I want you to pull it to the left of the rubber. So I want you to pull it to the rubber, but on the third mm-hmm. base side, if I want you to go opposite field, I want you to hit it to the rubber, but on the first base side. So like, it's, it's just right here, but you know, you can see it like, okay, I'm just going to try to hit right there to the rubber or right there to, um, to this side. And so in the case of Correa, I might ask him to just hit it to the third base side of the rubber. Mm-hmm. Let's, let's just yeah. go, let's, let's go big part of the field. Cause that's, I mean, you're, you're still going right up the middle, but let's just go to this, to the rubber on the third base side, look for a fastball and hit it right there and mm-hmm. see what happens. See what happens. And I, and I, sometimes that really like clicks right away. And if that's not the one that, if that's the one that makes, makes them kind of spin off, you go, well, why don't we focus in on the, on the right side of the rubber and we'll go second base side Mm -hmm. and uh, hit the fastball as hard as you can right there. And that might clean it all up. 
I mean, it's, sometimes it's it's that simple as let's get away from guessing pitches. Let's look back for the fastball right down the middle. And when, and when we're trying to strike it, we want it to go right there mm-hmm. as hard as you can. Let's yeah. go. Yeah, it's, it's it's interesting to watch him struggle the way that he is, and it makes a lot of sense. And I remember you and I have had a similar conversation before, but that seems to be the big issue with Carlos Correa. A little bit late, uh, not doing the damage necessarily against the fastball that he had uh, in the past and maybe some more opposite field hits than he would like to see, or I should say opposite field even contact at this point, uh, that he would like to see. Some other uh, Twins-related news, uh, Miranda got sent down. He had been struggling. Jose Miranda was a really nice story. Um, a year ago, Kyle Farmer comes off the IL after getting hit in the face, and you know, he's going to get that time at third base, but I thought this was interesting. I saw Aaron uh, Gleeman from the Athletic talking about uh, that could be paving the way for uh, Royce Lewis. Uh, of course, their big pick, a guy who had gone on the AIL, he's expected to start a um, rehab assignment this week, and he eventually could end up becoming uh, their third baseman. And so they have you know, a decent amount of, of pretty respectable left side of the infield candidates right now. But the Miranda story was was such a great one. Man, he was a really good uh, hitter last year. It was a good story. Hit 268 with a 7 51 uh, OPS had 15 home runs for them after getting off to a slow start and really put together uh, a very nice season. Um, But they didn't wait very long with him. Again, even though they are a first place team, they're working through some roster things right now in their lineup and trying to get it going. Um, But it'll be interesting to see if Royce Lewis, of course, who uh, had made his big league debut. We saw him a couple years ago before he had gotten hurt. And unfortunately, now um, maybe we'll see him back, but we're not going to see him at shortstop because he's a pretty good shortstop. Uh, but perhaps as thir- a third baseman, um, we will see. But I thought that little bit of news was interesting when you kind of look at what's going on right now over at third base for the Minnesota Twins. Yeah, and you know it's funny. Uh, there's a there's a kid from the Big West. I, I'm a big fan of Big West baseball, college baseball. Uh, Brooks Lee, who is the first pick for Minnesota, uh, I believe two years ago. He is, uh, he's in double A right now and, um, he's doing okay, but it's amazing when you consider, uh, you know, the, how fast you can go from being an up and coming prospect to making it to the big leagues, getting hurt. And then you have the next wave of somebody else coming Oh man! Uh, and and it's like, it's right there, you know? So, and, and and then don't forget that they also traded for Austin Martin, um, when they did the Jose Barrios deal. That was the top prospect from Toronto, and that was another mm-hmm. shortstop. So they they have some middle infielders coming, and uh, it, it is kind of wild when you – I mean, CJ, you were a prospect. You were drafted first round with Cincinnati Reds, and you're like, you know, <laughs> crazy Jim Bowden three in the big league so fast. <laughs> but you went from probably being a really big prize prospect really quickly to, yeah. like, you either you're a big leaguer else. or you're not. Yeah. I mean, there's there's something about wiping the prospect label off, right? Because prospect just means they think you can get it done or we think you can get here. And so, yeah, there's something about getting that um, kind of taken off you a little bit to some degree. Uh, by the way, I said Royce Lewis it was last year. Gosh, it felt like two years ago when we first saw him um, in the big leagues. But that was last year for the 2017 number one overall pick. And then, of course, unfortunately, I had to have the knee surgery uh, back in June of last year. But, yeah, it happens fast. Um, I tell you what, though, thinking about what you had there and what, how you laid it out with what they have in Minnesota, that also feels like potentially um, they have some good trade candidates, whether it's this year or whether it's the offseason, because the shortstop market is weak going forward. I mean, it's been a, it's been booming these last couple of years uh, in free agency, but it's gotten really light. And so there's uh, certainly some possibilities. Minnesota's got some some names there and some players that could draw uh, something pretty good in return if they feel like they need that. Uh, for their postseason run, 
Uh, they are in first place, as I mentioned right now. Okay. Uh, also want to get to this story here, staying in the American League Central. Already rumblings. Everybody, when they look at their team, say, oh, how do we get better? Who can we trade for? Well, you can't trade for anybody because it's May. It's early May, and it's not going to happen. However, some trade rumors already surrounding Araldis Chapman with the Kansas City Royals. And I find this interesting, Billy, for a bunch of different reasons. One, I don't know how much the Kansas City Royals are out there actually pushing this. Is this about teams trying to get ahead of the curve? Uh, because looking at, you know, uh, relievers that are free agents next year, you say, okay, those are probably good trade candidates. There's not a lot of them. It's, you know, there's, there's, it's going to be few and far between, and you're going to have to work pretty hard. Now, Araldis Chapman, I wasn't sure if he was going to play baseball again, quite honestly. I wasn't sure if he was going to get another opportunity. He's off to a pretty good start here with the Kansas City Royals. However, he's not closing, right? That is not what he is doing. He's got one save, uh, but he's been used in more of a setup role. The strikeout numbers are good, better than 14 per night. He's got 20 punch outs in his 12 and two-thirds innings. He does have six walks in there. Go back to last year, the issues with the Yankees. He had a infection from a tattoo. Uh, then he didn't show up for a workout. They basically didn't bring him back for the rest of the postseason because of it and, and looked at him at that point as a guy that just cannot help us. We don't want him around. It wasn't a great look for him. That's why I thought he was going to be out of the game. Um, but I'm curious about this. You know, is he, is he a redemption guy? Did he get to the point where he realized he missed it and had to clean his act up a little bit? I have no idea what's going on in Kansas City, uh, but he's throwing the ball well. I'm wondering if the Royals want to take advantage as they're such a bad team of any market that heats up right away, if they're even interested in trading for him. Um, but this is a, this is an intriguing one uh, because he's done a lot of great things in the past. He's been a very good postseason closer and reliever over the course of his career. But the rumblings out there already here on May 11th uh, that the Kansas City Royals are taking some calls or at least getting some interest from other teams about Araldis Chapman. There's a there's a saying in baseball, uh, moving before the rest of the league finds out. <laughs> you know, you <laughs> like you you might have a player in your minor league system, and you're like, oh, they want this guy. Yeah, go go ahead, take him. Uh, <laughs> let let the rest of the league wait before get get him while while you can. Uh, the case of of Chapman, I'm with you. I wasn't expecting him to land on his feet just based on track record, and and you know he's had multiple issues off the field. But the arm talent has always been there. Uh, his fastball velocity is, is was was there last year. It's still there this year. I think he's sitting at 99 miles an hour. At 99.6 miles an hour is his four seam. <laughs> last year is 97.5. So he's seen an uptick. I think he's healthy. Um, we know he keeps himself in phenomenal shape. I mean, if you've ever seen a role as Chapman uh, in uniform, out of uniform, he is he's a freak. I mean, oh, like he is he's a Greek god. Like he is he is he is in phenomenal shape. So I'm not worried about the the physical part. It's more he comes with baggage, mm-hmm. you know, like he comes with baggage. And whether you want to bring that to a team or not is up to the team. And depending on where you are with with a reliever, I mean, the the teams that I could picture with a role this Chapman. Uh, I I mean, I, I don't want to exclude any team. Like I could picture him with Houston if they needed a lefty reliever, even though you have the, the smirk of, of Chapman after Altuve hit the home run off of him. I, I don't see any, any team that's going to shy away from him because he's such a low buy. Mm-hmm. And maybe I, I don't even know what level prospect you get in return for a role as Chapman. So I, I could, I could see him on, on any number of teams yeah. Um, just because the, the, the one thing that stands out with, with Chapman is the amount of strikes he's throwing. He's throwing, 
almost 50% of his pitches are strikes. Now you, you might say like, that's not that good of a number. It's really not. But for him, 44% of the time he's in the strike zone this year, he's close to 50. So he's throwing strikes with his big stuff and he's already hard to square up. So, I mean, I would, I could picture him on any, you know, competitive team right now. It just boils down to if he comes over there and, you know, it rocks the boat, you have to be willing to pivot like immediately. Um, Because this one, this one just has, there's more to it. You have to recognize that. And that's the part you can't gather, right? You can try to gather from the outside, but it's very difficult to gather that from the outside. You can have your scouts watching him all day long. You can look at the data. He's sitting at 99 miles an hour this year. The, the fastball is still uh, good. That slider has been pretty good for him. The whiff rate on that is around 41%. Actually, on both of those pitches, it's mixing in that split a little bit. It's been pretty good for him. He doesn't throw it a bunch, um, but it is there about 9% of the time using it against the righties uh, as a, as a changeup kind of alternative that's been good for him but how do you find out how things have been on the inside you can ask around you can try to get a feel uh you know they're going to be guys that are going to have bad things to say probably um or who knows like i said if there's some kind of good redemption story out there for him if he's in that spot where he really feels like he screwed up and and realizes that he almost lost the game and he loves the game and he loves to compete wants to be back out there it would be great there's been some fans wondering about the texas rangers and the fit there will smith has been closing actually did a very nice job in St. Louis after blowing one uh, in Los Angeles. I said, St. Louis, what's wrong with me, man? In Seattle. It's, it's like I get a letter. I just, my old man brain just goes. The Rangers were just in Seattle for three days. He picked up uh, two saves, went three up, three down, and both of them punched out five. So he's looked good. Um, but, you, you know, he'll do any role that you want. And so thinking about some people talking, well, you know, Dayton Moore was just there. There's a Kansas City connection. Of course, Chris Young played uh, in Kansas City. So I don't know what the interest level um, would be, but no doubt there'll be a lot of talk about uh, the contending bullpens and whether or not Araldus Chapman is going to be uh, a fit there. I got another American League Central story I want to talk to you about. And we got so excited last year about the Guardians and their offense. And like, oh, this is it. The new wave of baseball is here. Put the ball in play. The shifts are going away. This is it. Everyone's going to get in line because the Cleveland Guardians are a fun team to watch. And they were. They're three games under 500 right now. They're one of the worst offenses in baseball. And we knew they weren't necessarily a huge slugging team uh, last year, but it has gotten worse. Uh, And when you look at the Minnesota, excuse me, when you look at the Cleveland Guardians right now, uh, they are hitting 221. Uh, they are scoring just 3.4 runs per game. That is tied for uh, the lowest in baseball. The home runs per plate appearance, again, not what they've done, but it is ridiculously low at 73. League average is 33. The Guardians are hitting a home run once every 73 plate appearances when the rest of the league is doing it once every 33 uh, plate appearances. And I don't know if this is just a matter of them coming around because they're a contact offense and you just got to wait. I'm not sure here, but it hasn't quite felt the same uh, with Cleveland. I think they also really missed Tristan McKenzie, quite honestly, in that rotation. Uh, he was fantastic for them. And so uh, kind of sputtering out of the gates here a little bit are the Cleveland Guardians, Billy. And I'm not saying I'm concerned yet. Obviously, there's other teams that are doing a lot worse. Uh, but it seems like so far this style of offense is not having the impact uh, that it has had. They're currently uh, three games under, 500, and three games back in third place to the Minnesota Twins. Yeah, so this one, this one I kind of like that that we're touching this one because to your point, you you were seeing like maybe this is going to be the version of the Cardinals of the '80s or or the Royals of the '80s, uh, where you could see, you know, maybe you know 
certain guys that, that, that aren't going to hit for power, but are going to drive in a bunch of runs. You know, I think of Jake Cronenworth with San Diego, um, you know, hitting fifth in the, in the Padres lineup where he might have 10 homers, but 150 RBIs. So I saw Cleveland offensively. There's, there's not a lot going on. I mean, it is station to station. They, they will steal a lot of bags. Um, they are very athletic, but there is no threat of a home run. Uh, their walk rates are not as high as I think I would want them to be. Um, but they are, I mean, like you said it, they're dead last in run score. They're dead last in on base percentage. They're dead last in OPS. Um, when you, when you have a batting average as a, as a team, as low as it, as it is, that's just really, really hard. I mean, they play good defensively they pitched. Okay. But I mean, you have to have some, some threats mm. and there just aren't. I mean, who's, who's the lead, who's the team leader in homers on, on this group. It's gotta be Jose Ramirez. And how many does yeah. he have Four. I think four. Yeah. I mean, they were hoping to get something from Josh bell. I think they were hoping to get something yeah. from Naylor. I mean, if you have three guys in this lineup that are 20 home run guys, and then you have a bunch of tens and, and twelves that like that would score a lot of runs, mm-hmm. but they don't. I mean, these guys are, Stephen Kwan has has a homer. He's he might be a five to eight home run guy. Med Rosario, who you know he's looking for a big payday. He's got one home run and he should be a ten to fifteen. Yeah, yeah. I mean, there's there's no pop. No. There's no pop. No pop in the lineup. I'm with you on the Josh Bell signing. I think we all kind of liked it and thought this would be the impact that they would get. I mean, the other part of it is now his on base is respectable at 336, but you you mentioned it. The rest of that club is is really struggling outside of the guys at the top, um, which of course you need with Quan and Ramirez and, and Bell is getting on base, but it just drops off considerably um, after that. The Rosario story is is kind of concerning, right? Because there was talk about trying to get an extension done. He is. Um, kind of one of the top guys out there potentially as a free agent at the shortstop position this year. And he's sitting 234. The on-base is 275 uh, for him right now. And that OPS just barely over um, 600. Now, I get it. We look at him and, and we looked at what happened last year. And it was a really nice story and a good year. And he's never necessarily been um, a guy that you're you're looking at big on-base from anyway, 307 for his career and you know not a lot of home runs necessarily either 11 of them last year but only one so far this year he did lead the league in triples last year he has three of those so far uh, this year but starting to have some concerns because it just it feels like they're light right now not seeing those hard line drives all over the field the way that we saw and kind of pushing putting a lot of pressure and not just on opposing pitchers but opposing defenses right knowing you had to have it right and you would have thought I would have thought shift gone away not that they were getting shifted a ton, but even better for a high uh, contact team. But it has been a really slow start for them. Uh, like I said, I feel like they really do miss uh, Tristan McKenzie, kind of looking at him last year and expecting and wondering, could he do it again? Because he had a very nice season for them a year ago uh, and right now not in that uh, rotation. And that's the other part of it, right? They have had some uh, changes in that rotation. We know the bullpen, of course, uh, has been really good uh, for them, and they got some really good back end arms, and and that continues for the most part. Uh, but there are some, some other concerns here, uh, pitching wise as well for the Cleveland Guardians. And you know, I don't think anybody's running away with this division. I mentioned the Twins are a no. first place team when the Tigers are a second place team right now. Uh, that is a huge surprise. The White Sox have been a monster disappointment, and so maybe this comes down to a two team race, and that helps the Guardians a little bit. Uh, but they got to get it going. For I think for us to have the confidence that that they can catch the Minnesota Twins. I mean, the American League Central 
Tigers are playing pretty good. Like your your former team, they're 17, 19. They're only two games below 500. And yeah. like that was a team where I saw early in the year, and this was after um, they went to Toronto. They had the Javi Baez miscue in center field. Baez was at second base after, you know, he thought he hit a homer, was walking to first, hits the wall. He gets a second, fly ball to center. He thinks it's two outs because he was hitting sixth. Uh, it wasn't two outs. <laughs> and he like runs him out of inning. AJ Hinch pulls him out. Um, and then they they kind of went on. They started playing much better baseball. You know, Javi's been playing better baseball. It's not great, but defensively he's been good. He finally hit some homers. Uh, but Tigers are are there's at least a direction that you're starting to see. The yeah. Royals are are they're they're not good. The White Sox are really not good, but they're but here's what's crazy about it. 13 and 25, you should be buried at this at this point. Because the twins are 20 and 17. Mm. Tigers and the Guardians are are essentially in second and third place. That puts the, the White Sox at fourth, with still, according to you, fan graphs, a nearly five percent chance to win the division. Mm-hmm. Wow. Which that is like insanity to me. Uh-huh. That is wild, man. I mean, it's, it hasn't been a great, you know, the Centrals, we kind of knew it coming in, have not been uh, great divisions in our game. But I guess you get that little bit of hope, even if you're the White Sox and saying, well, if we're going to get a turnaround in any division, uh, this is going to be the one. Because if they were in the American League East right now, uh, my goodness, yeah, you would not see them. And you would go ahead and wrap it up and call it a season for them. By the way, Liam Hendricks uh, has already appeared in. Uh, rehab games uh, looking a little bit closer. That'll be a nice moment for them. Perhaps they get a little bit of boost uh, from Liam Hendricks. And if things continue to go south, well, he'll be a trade candidate because he's a free agent uh, this year. And so that certainly could be a story that we talk about as the year goes on. I wanted to ask you uh, real quick, a couple more, or just a little bit of notes here. Tyler Glass now had to get taken out after just one inning of his rehab assignment, left side dealing with that. Uh, they said they were just kind of being extra precautious. Uh, we will see. They very much would like to have him back, but we talked about it on the radio show, Loud Outs on MLB Network Radio, 3 to 6 Eastern Time, Monday through Friday, uh, that they have the, they're in the position where they can be patient, right? Where they don't have to push right now because the Tampa Bay Rays are playing really well. But the one I wanted to ask you about was Julio Rodriguez. I was just up in Seattle for a three-game series with the Texas Rangers. They dropped him the sixth in the order. He had been lead off all year long. Scott Service, they didn't call him out publicly, but just addressed some of the struggles that they're having right now offensively and highlighted Julio Rodriguez at the top of the lineup. It's kind of nuts to see. Like he's always been a relatively positive guy, and he's still got some of that going. He is taking on the Jared Kelnick role from a year ago. Oh, which no. Is, you can see the frustration on his face. You can see him chasing pitches out of the zone. It almost feels like he's guessing, right? He's swinging the pitches up above the zone, chasing things down, taking fastballs in the strike zone, right? You know what it's like. You get in that spot and everything's going backwards. Now, he does. He did get a, a little blue base hit uh, in the last game and had a little bit of fun with the dugout and kind of joked and looked like there was a sense of relief. Uh, but he's not the same guy. Uh, and I say not the same guy. He can be the same guy. But Julio Rodriguez has gotten off to a slow start. Um, I'm not going to say to the same degree. When I bring up the, the Kelnick comp, that is, you know, just kind of wearing every emotion on your sleeve and almost feeling like 90% of that emotion was negative. Kelnick's got off to a really nice start, and and he's been their best hitter so far. But some guys are starting to, some bats are starting to wake up a little bit um, over in Seattle. In Seattle, still waiting for Cal Rally uh, to get it going a little bit, and and some others. And JP Crawford had to miss a couple of games, but they're getting there. And they have unbelievable pitching to back it up. That rotation with Bryce Miller in it now taking over for Robbie Ray to go with that bullpen. I mean, they got it. 
they have the pitching staff that they need. Um, but what do you make of Julio Rodriguez? You like the idea of them dropping him down to sixth? His yes. OPS is 200 points lower than it was a year ago. Yes. I, I So, <sighs> again, like, there are so many different ways to manage a team, manage players. I, I remember this one. Carlos Gonzalez was really struggling. Uh, and Cargo had been an all-star. I think he, you know, was was like, had some MVP votes. Didn't put up the year like a rookie of the year campaign, but but had a had a big season. And Walt Weiss was manager at the time. Um, he just wanted to take some pressure because you know, like when you're hitting third or you're hitting second, you're leading off. If you're not right, like those at bats, they pile up, and it's not just the at bats piling up; it's you know the letdown. Like you're coming up in a big scenario, jam, strikeout, like you're just unproductive. And it, it starts to wear on a player even more because the team is either winning or losing, depending on if you play well. Uh, and, and that's the reality. Like you, if you're hitting in the top three spots of the lineup and you're consistently one for four, oh, for five, punching out, you know, runners in scoring position, you're hitting 200. Like those are, that's a lot of pressure on that player. And you need to get some, some form of production because it <laughs> helps the whole team. And when Walt moved cargo, he moved him down to six and cargo went to six and he knew why he knew why he was getting moved down because it, like these at bats his, his at bats sucked. <laughs> it was an out. <laughs> but when cargo got sent down to six, he said, it was like, man, that, that one like hurt my heart Yeah, because I know I'm not a six hole hitter. I know I'm not a seven hole hitter. I'm a, I'm a two or a three. I'm a four hole hitter. I, I know I'm good. I'm going to get there. That one took a little bit of the wind out of the sails. And here's somebody that same type of personality, like Julio, where he's affable, he's fun. He's always has a smile. Like there's people around him. And when you hear a player tell you that, like, it's one thing to drop Ryan Spielberg's down from two to six. It's another to drop a superstar down when they're, they know that they're capable of doing way more than anybody else on the team. Mm-hmm. And like that, again, like that's managing a personality. That's ma- managing a player in the case of Julio. I would love to be able to take the pressure off of him. Right. Like I, I want him to like, just breathe, get some good at bats. I like you're, you're just here to, to just clear the mechanism. Just, just clear your mind for a week. And I'm going to put you right back up into the leadoff spot. You know, you can, you can work on something here. You can, you know, try, try to be early, try to be late whatever let me just take some pressure off of you but if you find out that julio it hurts his heart and it starts to bring him down to a level where the performance will stay down there because now they're not a hundred percent into it like they should be mm-hmm. that's where the that's where the problem comes in in the case of cargo cargo hit six for about a week went into the office with walt told him look i know i'm struggling but i need to be hitting in the middle of the lineup and Walt goes, I was waiting for you to come in here and tell me that. Mm-hmm. And he was back in the three spot right after that conversation. So, you know, like that's that took cargo, like, hold on a second. Wait, I can do this. And then he talked himself back into the three spot and started destroying the baseball. So it 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 works. It's a little bit of mind warfare. It's also a little bit of take some pressure off a player. I like in the case of Scott service, but you have to recognize what type of personality you have. 
Yeah, it's a good point because you don't want to lose that, right? I mean, that is certainly part of his game, and I think it's still there. Like I said, you see the frustration in the at-bats. He chases a pitch. You hear an F-bomb. Uh, maybe he takes a strike. You hear another F-bomb. Like, there was a lot of that going on. You could tell there was some real frustration on the face of Julio Rodriguez. By the way, the Rangers won that game. Luis Castillo let up a home run on his four-seam fastball for the first time this year as I was digging in and getting ready to prepare for the game. There was only two starting pitchers who throw their four-seam fastball a decent amount who had not let up a home run yet. It was uh, Castillo and it was Jesus Lazardo. And so now Lazardo, the last man standing after Marcus Simeon took him deep. Uh, but man, he's good. They are, they are really, his fastball is elite. Uh, one of the best in the game, a four seamer when you look at batting average against, when you look at whiff rate, all the things going on uh, there. But he did take the loss. Dane Dunning picked up the win. He's been filling in for Jacob DeGrom. So far, 11 innings, two earned runs, filling in for Jacob DeGrom at <laughs> two starts. He's been great. His 30th start on the road, he finally got a win on the road as a starter. He had not gotten, had not had one in his career. Uh, so finally picked up the W, so nice win uh, for the Rangers, and they get ready for four games here uh, in Oakland as they continue to sit at the top of the American League West. All right, that'll do it for us today. We always appreciate you guys listening. Have a wonderful day, and look forward to the next Loud Out Podcast. Sirius XM Podcasts.